Okay, starting the podcast, 20th of October, 2019. Uh, I guess that should be 2019, October 20th, if we're in New Zealand. Okay, so this is the Kiwi Innovators podcast number one. Uh, my name's Sean Muller, and this is my origin story. This is where I start. Um, this is where... This podcast is where I'm going to tell you who I am and what I am and, and why I'm here and a little bit about why I'm doing a podcast. Um, so my quick CV, um, as you can tell, I'm not natively from New Zealand. I'm originally from the United States. Um, I have 30 years of technology experience. Um, I have no university degree in technology of any kind, uh, but I have many, many, many university classes, vendor certifications throughout my career. Um, in 1995, I started work for um, Ericsson Telecommunications in their North American corporate headquarters doing desktop support. Um, within three months of working there doing desktop support, I was running their desktop rollout lab building new operating systems and software back this is in the windows 3.1 on dos 4.2.2 days um <clears throat> i eventually moved into their network engineering team uh, and provided all of the lan support uh across their entire corporate headquarters in richardson texas i did that for a little over a year uh, and got an opportunity to move to Fidelity Investments Network Operations Center. Uh, and I worked for some truly great people over there. Uh, so we're going to have to... So edit out. Yeah. We're going to have to edit that out. I need to go back. Okay. I don't know how to do that. So I can delete the whole track. No, just just keep going. Are you okay putting it together from bits of pieces? We'll, we'll try it a couple of different ways. Okay, so um, when I talk about Ericsson Telecommunications North American headquarters, there are some people that I need to make sure that I mention because uh, the reality is is that I wouldn't be in technology uh, without those people. Um, the first of them is Larry Elder. Uh, Larry was the head of um, technology when I started working there. He was the one that gave me the job in, in desktop support. There was no reason for him to give me that job. I had no background, no experience. I didn't have a university degree. I was less than six months out of um, the Marine Corps um, where I did nothing with technology. Uh, his deciding to give me a chance... Um, started me down this route. Uh, he showed me how to bootstrap through things. He showed me how to uh, interact with business and management. He gave me um, a template to work in the corporate world that I didn't have at that time. Um, on the team were some very technical people, uh, and, and the list of people I could actually spend the entire day just this entire podcast going through that list of people. Uh, but uh, 
Patrick Lawrence, Lou Hanekak, um, Bill Edwards, uh, Carl Morgan, all of these people helped me along the path that I was going and showed me how I could do things innovatively, how I could use technology to get outcomes, how I could uh, not just not just support my career, but could actually do really cool things in technology and what it would take to do those things. The stories that Carl used to tell about Bell Labs and the things that happened really made me excited about technology. Um, when I moved into the network engineering team, getting to work on those network technologies, rolling out the first Catalyst 5000 outside of Cisco was a really big deal. I, I didn't know that at the time, um, but it gave me experience working on different platforms. And I realized that I picked up networking very, very quickly. Uh, I would sit down and have discussions with the Cisco vendor and it would take one or two quick discussions with them. And I had, would understand you know, how fast Ethernet works, how FIDI worked, uh, how Token Ring worked if I was talking with the IBM guys. And my understanding, I didn't realize it at the time, is not something that gets picked up very quickly. When I moved on to Fidelity Investments, I got to play with a truly world-class network. And play probably isn't the right word, um, and I can see uh, Ray Peltier cringing when he hears me say play. But the reality was is that they had troubleshooting tools and capability and leading-edge technology. The company rolls profits back into it, the company for technology upgrades, and that gave me the chance to do things like uh, convert a WAN over to ATM at a time when uh, most companies were only starting to begin to look at what their frame relay networks look like. Um, I really got to do a lot of really cool things. Uh, I got to work with some very, very smart people. Uh, and after two years at Fidelity Investments, I got the opportunity to go and run my own network operations center on my own shift at Charles Schwab, um, where Fidelity did things in a particular way, Charles Schwab's operation was more a had to be everything working all the time on a day-to-day -day operations, and I learned vendor management in a way that I had never done before. Uh, the technology that they were running was leading edge, dense wave division multiplexing between major data centers. Um, we were we were deploying leading edge Cisco technology in their data centers, and I got to move slowly up. Um, after about a year at Charles Schwab, I got an opportunity to go and really do uh, pure design engineering work, contract work. Uh, and I met some, again, some really cool people who helped me understand. Uh, Michael Bambeck showed me that there is a need to get certifications, if for nothing else, just to be able to communicate to the business side that you do know what you're talking about within technology. Um, I would have to say that the work that I did on, for Quest Communications on the School Facilities Board program in Arizona set me up for how you template things out and, and build patterns of deployment. 
Um, the QA team showed me what I needed to look at when I was doing design work to get the best outcomes. The C my CV from there really steps up. Um, I got the opportunity to go work for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida as a network analyst, which is their equivalent of a of a senior network engineer. Um, and I really got to hone my engineering skills. Uh, I got some exposure to some security people who, even to this day, uh, Kevin Johnson, who owns Secure Ideas, is the CEO of Secure Ideas. I, I still consider him to be a friend, and, and I do expect to do a podcast in the very near future where I interview him. Um, I consider him my go-to person for security. I don't think there's anybody else that I know that I can call on that that is going to have the answers, and if not have the answers, be honest about it and know where to go to get those answers. Um, Marty Barons, who to this day I consider a very close friend, uh, his knowledge of operational security from the network layer is is second to none, and and I don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call him if I've, I have a Windows question or I have a firewall question or I have an IPS question. I would probably to this day still be calling James Fields if he hadn't uh, semi-retired. Um, and I know James is probably going to ping me on that and tell me that I'm not retired. Um, and he's not. Uh, James Fields is... Uh, I would have many philosophical discussions with him about technologies and, and the value of those technologies. And James showed me the value of... Uh, education on areas away from pure technology while still having a bent towards technology for outcomes. I would say without James's input, I wouldn't be doing innovation work today. This podcast wouldn't be called Kiwi Innovators. It would be called uh, Gearhead Technology or something like that. Um, and, and again, you know, I could go on and on. I, I could talk about Steve Carlin and the management that I've that I learned from Steve and how to correctly manage people or Richard Harp and, and what a real director could look like in an, in an awesome organization. Um, <clears throat> I got the chance to go be a senior network architect for, uh, at the time it was TNT logistics, but it eventually became Siva logistics in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and I, and I got to work on a truly global network. Um, Charles Schwab and Fidelity Investments, I did get to work on global network issues, but the SIVA team, the SIVA logistics team out of Jacksonville, they truly did uh, the world, all of the world uh, work. And I was, gen I was genuinely, I was regularly on the phone with networking people in Italy and Russia and um, talking with them about things going on and, and, helping them to establish templates and patterns of deployment. And, and I really, it helps hone my ability to be able to communicate both technical and non-technical things to technical and non-technical people. And, and that sounds like it's, it sounds like it should be a simple concept, but it's not. Um, after, uh, after I left Siva Logistics, I went to work for, I did some contracting work for, uh, Perot Systems, and then I moved into a senior network architect role at uh, a company that eventually became known as Anthelio Health. Um, 
what's Richard's last name? Roberts. So, Rick, I went to work for Richard Roberts, who um, is, in my mind, one of the best executives that I have ever had the opportunity to inter- interact with. At that time, uh, Chris Walls was the CIO, and um, if Chris called me up on the phone, I would probably drop anything I was doing to go work for him. Um, I've since gone back and, and talked with Richard on several occasions, and I and I consider him to be an exceptional executive, and he gave me the ability to to do some truly great things at Anthelio, um, to build to build out their network and deploy some things in in Anthelio that were really great things for customers going forward. Um, when Anthelio became Anthelio and it got bought by a uh, venture capital company, um, I saw the opportunity to go to work for surprisingly enough a retail. Uh, and uh, manufacturing company uh, Levi Strauss, the jeans company, and and I and I found out that retail companies often have very large worldwide networks that nobody's aware of. Um, I did senior network architecture work for their global network, and again found myself on the phone with people in Russia and Afghanistan and and Iran. Um, and in Europe, talking with them about their networks and how the network was stood up and helping them see the network as more than just the hardware that they implemented. Uh, And then I got the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, The name of this podcast is Kiwi Innovators, and the reason it's called that is because New Zealanders um, uh, are are called Kiwis. Uh, While I was working for Levi Strauss, I got the opportunity... Uh, IBM in New Zealand moved me to New Zealand to be their senior network architect in New Zealand. <coughs> I can't tell you what that that meant to me. Um, if if you've never been to New Zealand, and and I know, I know I've bugged most of my friends in the U.S. about what they're missing. If you've never had the opportunity to visit New Zealand, I, I suggest that you figure out a way to at least come and visit. New Zealand is an incredible place. Um, the I don't know how to describe how the visuals when I step out of my house in the backyard and how incredible it looks just in my backyard, let alone driving around the Southern Alps on the South Island of New Zealand. Um, interestingly enough, when I was, when I got to IBM, I expected that the senior network architect role that I, I was in would be the role I would eventually retire in, in about 30 or 40 years. And I didn't expect to do anything else. Um, I had no desire to go into management, um, and other technology areas didn't really interest me a lot. Um, a, a man who uh, ended up coming to my wedding, Darren Hobbs, gave me the opportunity to step in and do architecture for IBM's cloud in New Zealand. Now, for those of you who are in New Zealand, you know that the IBM's cloud was uh, less than successful um, as a product in New Zealand, although they, they are doing a pretty good job now with it uh, at the time. But that opportunity to lead a team of architects building out a truly innovative technology in a truly innovative way reinvigorated my love of technology and opened a door for me. Um, It gave me the opportunity to want to learn new technologies. And uh, I took that and I ran with it. I moved into architecture away, away from networking. 
um, and started looking at the business side of it and business outcomes and how technology drive those business outcomes. In networking, we have this this running joke that the network would run really well if people would just stop plugging computers into it. But the the reason it's a joke is because the network has no purpose if the computers aren't plugged into it. The computers have no purpose if they're not doing something for the business to allow some kind of business outcomes. And I think oftentimes technology people uh, miss that. There's a story that I mentioned in my about section on my website that I said I would cover off in this podcast. And, and this is the story. So I worked for an executive VP when I was at Fidelity Investments and he would once a month have uh, breakfasts with the the non-managers. It was a, an open breakfast. He would pay for it. it. We would sit around a table and, and just talk about anything that he wanted to talk about. And uh, the, the key was is the managers weren't allowed to be there, and he could get this, the straight scoop of what was happening with the, the people that were working in the teams. And he told this story, and it resonated with me, with me so much that to this day I carry it around. And the story is this. Business is like a herd of elephants. And most technical people, when they, when they interact with the business, all they see is just a tail or a trunk of a single elephant in that herd. So if, if they, they see that tail and they trunk, they only see the one little section that they're working on. And his goal as, a, as an executive VP was to get the technology people to at least see an entire elephant so they could see where their little section of the technology connected to everything else where it plugged in so that was what he was aiming for was that being able to see the the elephant the reality was at that time is that i could already start to see the entire herd um i i understood the purpose of the technology. I knew why it was there. I could look at it and say, we, we need a service level agreement for this because we're looking to get this business outcome. And so that's the story of that herd of elephants from the about on my website. I really view technology in businesses as a herd of elephants and the individual pieces of the technology have to come together for that herd to move in the right direction. And anytime an elephant goes off in a wrong direction or somebody chooses something that's not a business outcome based thing, um, it disrupts that herd moving towards their destination. Um, and I really got to see that once I moved into pure architecture work and started doing some independent consulting for uh, a good friend of mine, Dudley Harris at Voco, um, I, I got to do true enterprise architecture where it was, we were looking at a business outcome and we were looking at all of the bits and pieces that go together within technology to drive that business outcome and looking at the architectural pieces to put them together in such a way to guarantee that, or at least guarantee enough for the cost that was being paid for that technology. And that's that's the key is, is that technology has to have a cost to value ratio. So we have to understand not just the cost, but the value that that cost is buying. And that's where the enterprise architect comes in. They, they, they piece those two pieces together to get you the business outcome you're getting. 
I worked for Voco for about two years doing some really exciting um, work for them, uh, consulting at Vodafone, consulting at NZTA. Uh, and then I, a, a guy named Stathy Tazarius came to me and said, hey, would you like to do some innovation consulting work? And he said, would you like to work on containers and virtual reality and AI and blockchain? And uh, to be honest with you, I thought he was, he was taking the piss. I thought he was asking me, he was trying to play technology bingo with me to entice me to come work for uh, his company, the company that he and his three director friends founded, Liquid IT. It's absolutely what he wanted. He wanted me to come and, and talk about those technologies with uh, Liquid IT's clients and help them understand how they could get the business outcomes out of those technologies. That was a little over a year ago. Since that time, I have done really uncomfortable things for me. I have, um, I have recorded video blogs. I think I'm at 20 now. Um, I have, I've recorded a podcast. If you had asked me 20 years ago, if I would ever record, record a podcast, um, uh, no, uh, me performing or recording my voice in such a way that could be shared would be unheard of. Um, I have presented at Cisco live. Uh, I regularly speak to senior executives at both public and private, uh, agencies about, technologies and how those technologies can help them get business outcomes. But here's the key. There are a lot of technologists out there that can talk to, to you about AI, ML, uh, blockchain. The difference is, is that I've implemented worldwide technologies in large enterprises. And Although the technologies can drive really good business outcomes, if you don't have an enterprise plan to how to do those technologies in an enterprise in a way that is sustainable, that is maintainable, that has uh, a total cost of ownership that's understood by the business so that they can truly have a cost-to-value ratio um, uh, discussion about the technology, there's no way that you're going to get those innovative technologies across the line. In fact, uh, Accenture and KPMG and, and most of the big EDS, big consulting firms, they come in and they spend the majority of their time not consulting about the new technologies, but consulting about how to enable those new technologies within the enterprise. Um, Oracle's big discussion is not turning on an Oracle database. Turning on an Oracle database is easy. The difficult part is integrating that Oracle database into the enterprise in such a way that the cost-to-value ratio comes out the way it's supposed to. And that's what I bring to the table. That's the discussions that I have is not, hey, here's a really cool haptic feedback technology where um, the the operator can get information back from the people they're interacting with. No, 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 that's not the conversation. The conversation is, here's an AI tool, and here's how you can integrate it in your environment so that you can disrupt internally instead of disrupting externally. Now, if you've ever seen uh, any of my posts on LinkedIn or the, the shared articles that I share about innovation, um, 
I truly believe that you need to be disrupting internally. And if you don't, you will be disrupted externally. Now, there have been a couple posts recently where people have commented that um, digital transformation doesn't necessarily have to be disruptive. I don't think disruption is necessarily a bad thing. Disruption could be viewed as a change to the way that you do business. And in that manner, I think that innovative technologies and digital transformations need to be disruptive. But again, disruption doesn't, doesn't mean uh, necessarily a loss of revenue, a loss of people, a loss of uh, IP or even institutional knowledge within the organization. Disruptive can be just changing the way that you work. And here's the funny thing. If you're not looking at the way that you're doing business right now, if you're not if you're not examining the way you do it, if you don't have an understanding of the way you work, let me assure you even in the public sector, there are organizations out there that are looking to disrupt you externally. And if they can find a better, faster, easier way to do stuff, they will. And then the question is whether or not you can maintain relevancy over the long term. And it might be as simple as you have an organization that it's a public organization. Uh, let's say, as an example, NZTA. They have no competition in their space. They're the only ones that issue driver's licenses. They're the only ones that manage the funds to do the roadworks around New Zealand. But that doesn't mean that they can't be disrupted externally. That doesn't mean that uh, another organization or another group can't come in and go through the government and show the government that it can be done and managed privately better. And that doesn't disrupt NZTA externally and cause uh you know, changes of how things are being done. So I guess in a short, that's kind of my origin story. That's where I came from. I grew up bootstrapping my way out of, uh, you know, technology, mostly focused on the, the networking side. So I guess the second, the second part of this podcast is I want to talk a little bit about what I want to do with this podcast and why it's here. So the easy the easy thing would be to say, oh, uh, here's another technology guy that's doing a podcast so that he can get his name out there. Uh, and I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that part of this podcast is about uh, me getting my name out there, but not in a name fashion, more as in a me putting myself out there and giving me the ability to try and put myself in front of other people. Since uh, innovation consulting and enterprise architecture consulting has to do with putting yourself in front of people. So part of this is me getting comfortable with it. Why did I call it Kiwi Innovators? Um, so before I decided to move to New Zealand, I did a lot of research on New Zealand. And New Zealand has a history of creating new things and innovating things. They um, having 
backyard engineers, uh, the creation of the jet boat, uh, bungee jumping. Uh, New Zealand has a, a long storied history. In fact, uh, in New Zealand, we refer to putting things together with number eight wiring, which has a, it has a lot of resonance with me where I came from. Um, in the Marine Corps, the amphibious reconnaissance unit I was with, we were always short on money. So we were always putting things together with uh, duct tape and um, parachute cord to hold things together. So the, it really resonated with me. So innovation is in the blood of Kiwis. The second is, is that New Zealand sits at a very good position in the world from a diplomatic standpoint. Um, Kiwis and New Zealanders tend to be treated positively and looked upon favorably by all countries. And at a time when the United States and China are in a trade war over technology and artificial intelligence, um, I look around at the startup marketplace in New Zealand and the, the AI companies in New Zealand like SpaceTime and Intella and Soul Machines and, and FaceMe. And I see really innovative things being developed in, in New Zealand. The, this is another opportunity for, as far as I'm concerned, for New Zealanders. New Zealanders tend to be more technologically advanced per capita than even the United States. So the size of the country and the, the fact that the government realizes that technology is important to them really puts New Zealand in a good space and a good place to be able to do this. But there's a downside. The downside is, is that there's not massive amounts of financing inside New Zealand. So many of these startup companies, uh, these innovative technology companies, AI uh, and such, tend to sell externally. Um, and I, I'm, I won't say that there's only innovation being done in New Zealand. There's innovation being done in um, Cleveland and San Francisco and Israel and in uh, the UK, it's happening all over the world. Um, so this podcast is about bringing some of those innovators here to New Zealand, at least on a podcast, to talk to me about things that are happening in New Zealand, things that are happening around the world in innovation. But it's also to give a platform to innovators in New Zealand that want to talk about the innovative technology stuff that they're doing and how they're helping to drive business outcomes and get better outcomes. I, I'll be honest, you're, we're going to hear a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews about information technology. Uh, obviously, that's my background and that's my the area that I know best, but it won't be the only area. Um, I expect to talk to neuroscientists and psychiatrists, psychologists, um, business people, um, uh, biotech engineering, power engineering, um, building engineering. I, I'm not going to limit this because one of the things that I've learned from innovation and looking at innovative programs that work is they work because innovative ideas are brought from different areas. So looking at something from a completely new perspective, uh, service design and enterprise service design it's really about having those additional viewpoints and seeing how things work and seeing how they work from different perspectives. 
Um, one of the really cool machine learning um, algorithms that I've recently come across looked at a bunch of different PhD papers looking for any connection between them and was able to identify areas in one PhD paper that might help another PhD paper. That, it, it, to me, is machine learning to look for innovation. And so I'm, I'm hoping to bring a lot of different technology innovators um, into this podcast and give them a place where, where we can have some discussions about them. That's uh, essentially it. Uh, that's my origin story. That's why I'm doing this podcast is to give myself a platform to talk about cool technologies and innovations with some really cool people and to give them a voice in New Zealand because I think if we can, in New Zealand, if we can decide that this is something we want to do, we have some really cool things that we could do and test really quickly. And I'm hoping to do, I'm hoping to talk about some of them. Uh, self-flying air cabs and the self-driving cars that are uh, being used down in Christchurch. They're testing almost every self-driving car company in the world is using Christchurch as a, as a place to test their vehicles. So I, I I'm, I'm going to, this is the podcast is going to be a little bit of a mix. I'm going to talk about some cool technology and cool innovations. And I'm, and I'm get, hoping to have some really good discussions with some really innovative people from around the world. Um, I don't have a sign off yet, but this is uh, Kiwi Innovators podcast number one. Um, twenty nineteen August twenty. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and as always. Uh, drop me a note. Let me know what you think. It, and by the way, if you're in, if you have an idea, um, or you know somebody that has an idea that you think uh, might contribute to innovation, or might uh, you just think is cool, uh, drop me a note. Let me know because I'll reach out to them. This that's what this is all about. Thanks. <laughs>